Welcome back to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mir, on this Friday afternoon. And it is literally my favourite time of the week because it's time for the Agenda Cafe. How are you doing, Karen? It's great to see you today. I'm great, Noreen. Very, very good uh, on Friday as usual. How are you doing? Yes, I'm very good. And I'm really excited because we have the wonderful Valentina joining us. But first of all, what are we talking about today? Okay, yeah, we're taking on a big and quite um, popular topic right now. It's, It's definitely been talked about a lot in the news. So today we're talking about consent and consent education. And you might have noticed there has been a lot of talk lately about consent education, mostly in the light of, unfortunately, uh, recent stories and a lot of data about um, how widespread sexual assault and rape is literally all over the world. And while I think we're all familiar with consent in a very general way, you know, every day we, we give consent to people for many things, you know, it's like, you know, can I come into your house? You know, can you, can I sit next to you, you know, in interactions with colleagues or family members or friends, but when it comes to that next level, sexual consent, it's a lot more complicated. And I think we're realizing that it's an area that really has to be taught explicitly to prevent misunderstandings and and often the disastrous consequences that come from those misunderstandings. So Noreen, as you mentioned, Valentina Tudos is joining us today to talk about this. Valentina is a transformational relationship coach and Valentina has also been teaching um, consent workshops to school students in Hong Kong. So she joins us right now. Valentina, great to have you on again. Great to see you both. Thank you for having me, Karen and Noreen, lovely. And we're on Facebook Live. Remember to say it. So (laughs) any listeners who are not driving, uh, who can go to Facebook, go to Noreen's Facebook page, Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3, and you can see all three of us as well as as hear us. So I thought we'd start by talking about ourselves and and maybe, you know, looking looking back at your own personal experience, your own history. Were you ever taught about consent? So Valentina, what's your story? Absolutely not. I don't even know that I knew the word growing up that I had to give consent. And I think so many, uh, so many stories that I hear, and I'm sure you guys will be able to share the same. It was quite um, implicit. There, there are a lot of. I feel that now that I know much more about this, I believe that we operated on a lot of social rules, unspoken agreements. Uh, where, you know, people just kind of did whatever they thought was best. But, you know, we don't really know how to judge things if we don't get educated about it. So I guess we just observed how other people did it. And we kind of learned by trial and error when to say yes, when to say no, uh, sometimes following our own intuition, running away from things that were not feeling comfortable, and other times just kind of being convinced uh, by others to just give in to what they wanted us to do. Yeah. I mean, it's quite amazing when you think about it. I, I definitely had no consent education, especially, you know, sexual consent education, because my parents didn't talk to me about sex at all, except for don't get pregnant. You know, that's really the only, the only thing they probably said. Um, so, yeah, you, you just grow up as you start to have relationships, navigating do I want to do this thing with this person? Uh, should I say something now before it goes a certain distance? Or should I just let it happen and then afterwards say I didn't like that? So it, it's definitely something that it's surprisingly not taught. And honestly, 
you know, I feel really bad saying this. I don't think I actually had this conversation with my kids either, who are now young adults. So that's where I'm coming from. Noreen, what about you? Yeah, no, I definitely wasn't taught uh, sexual consent at school and didn't really have that conversation. But that, you know, what you were both were sharing, Valentina and Karen, made me think of a, a boyfriend that I had in high school. And I remember um, he sort of asked me, is it OK if I kiss you? And I remember saying to my friends afterwards, like, oh, that's such a weird thing to to say. That's such a weird thing to ask. Um, you know, it's kind of like spoiling the moment. Why did why did he have to ask and I kiss you? But looking back, I think he was a true gentleman and his parents probably talked to him about consent education. Um, and, you know, it's kind of things that you appreciate as an adult. You think, oh, what a gentleman. But at that time, you think, oh, why did he do that? You know, a geek. Kind of thing. Yeah, but, he's, he's, what a gentleman. He's quite enlightened. <laughs> so let's try and get a handle on this. So, so Valentina, in in your uh, point of view, from your perspective, what is the actual definition of consent? Well, the actual definition of consent is um, permission that we give to other people to proceed with the course of action, ideally, and in, well, there is a definition that is just about consent, but I think the, the, the real topic that we're talking about here could be called informed consent, which involves the understanding of the consequences of that course of action. Because I think part of this unspoken agreement situation that I was talking about, it actually, um, all this conversation reminded me of my very first kiss, which I haven't thought about for, I don't know, 40 something years, I guess. Did they also ask you for permission? Absolutely not. No, he didn't ask me for permission. And he he, he took me by surprise. I mean, it was a very pleasant surprise. Um, but it was that kind of like, you know, when you're 14, and you're in love with someone or you have a crush on someone. I remember he literally grabbed me and kissed me. And I was like, Whoa, wait, <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. So I don't know how I would have reacted if he asked me. But definitely in the world that I grew up in, there was absolutely no informed consent, especially the first time. You don't even know what. It, definitely, I was not informed about the consequences of that. Oh, right. So it was just sort of like, OK, here comes the kiss, ready or not. Exactly. Well, it didn't lead to anything which was good. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes and this is exactly how we talk about it. Right. We say very often when we get into uh, situations that get a bit tricky, we say one thing led to another. Right. Yes. So I yeah. think this is the common path, right? You start kissing and then if you are not pushing this person away, then they kind of start touching you and then it gets, you know, maybe a little bit more intimate and, you know, second base, third base, whatever. We have all these, uh, you know, <laughs> words that we use, terms that we use to define the steps in the process of getting intimate with someone, but we don't necessarily ask. And the part about the informed element of consent is really something that uh, I put a lot of emphasis on in the uh, in the education that I do in schools because with so much more education about sex I think it's a it's a great conversation to be had as you said when we grew up it was the don't don't get married don't get pregnant message which only makes you think was like well what does that in imply I don't even, <laughs> even know exactly how you get there so how am right. I supposed to know how not to get pregnant if I don't know how to get pregnant right <laughs> but yeah in, in terms of definitions is, is this idea that if a person agrees to go ahead with something with an action and knows exactly where that leads to 
and also understands fundamentally that they can say no at any step in that process. Mm. So just because I agreed to kiss someone, it doesn't mean that I have to agree to them touching my body, taking my clothes off. It is not an, an implicit consent until the end of the story because I don't necessarily know what might happen. Right. Now, if, if we look at, you know, this whole idea of consent education and, and you've been working with young people, it really should start very young and it should start at home. So if we if we look at how we raise children, we tell them you're allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do that, mostly in the name of safety, you know, keep them safe. But we don't really tell them a whole lot of other things about how relationships work. Say, for example, what others are allowed to do to them. So your teachers, your friends, family members, um, what are they allowed to do? Is, is your teacher allowed to hug you? Is your uncle allowed to kiss you? You know, is your family friend allowed to kiss you? Uh, and when you look back, when you know we've we've heard so many people's uh, stories of, say, childhood sexual abuse perpetrated by a close family friend or a relative, because the child has no agency. They they don't feel they can resist. They don't. They're not. They have no power. They don't have the words, the language, um, and they're confused about whether or not this is allowed. And also, if it happens and the adult says, oh, this is our secret, you know, are they allowed to talk about it? How do we teach young kids without overwhelming them? Because there's a lot to, to sort of put on them. Um, and of course, at, at different stages of their lives, they have different levels of understanding. I think it starts... I usually use this this uh, example when I when I teach kids, and I think this is relevant for our audience as well. So, the rules, the social rules that we observe and that we are part of, give us certain um, power to act quickly in situations that we know it's socially acceptable to take a certain course of action. So the example is when someone orders a plate of chips, you know, French fries in a in a restaurant. It is almost the norm that everyone will kind of, oh, I'm going to steal your chip. It's not something, you know, it's not like we ask for permission. Hey, sometimes we ask, sometimes we say, hey, can I, can I try your chips? Can I steal one? But most of the time we don't. It's not really a request for consent. It's kind of like a, a thing to, to, know, to get the other person to notice what well, we're doing. I'm terrible. I always ask. And if somebody takes my chips, I'm always like, hey, nice of you to ask. Because I'm so stingy with my food. (laughs) You're doing an educational uh, favor to these people, you know. So in this circumstances, yeah, unless you're Noreen, most people would be, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem, you know. (laughs) It's okay, just steal my chips, no no big deal. But what if uh, a person put their wallet on the table? Would people just kind of help themselves to the cash? Oh, I need some cash. Can I can I take a few hundred dollars from your from your wallet? So we have implicit boundaries around certain things in our life. And in certain situations, there are rules around in the society that we kind of take for granted. So the stealing a chip is okay, but putting your fork in someone's pasta dish, maybe not the same, right? So there are these kind of rules. For example, you asked about kids, right? If um, I don't remember my parents ever knocking on my door when I was living at home. That's a request for consent. If I say, yes, come in, I'm okay for you to come in, that's actually giving consent. So when we demonstrate that yeah. through actions, we are actually programming our kids' mind 
in a way that it, it implicitly teaches them that it's okay to ask for permission, you know, like, this is your room. You know, I see sometimes in movies how kids put this keep out sign on their door or my space, don't go in, that kind of stuff. Well, why do they have the need to do that? Because probably they are not respected. Their personal space is not being respected by their parents. Yeah, gosh, I And I think bad. this is where it starts. Yeah, sometimes I do barge into Guppy's room and she's like, it's my room. I'm, I sort of turn around and, and say, it's my house. And that's not really, yeah. that's not really the right way to handle it. So <laughs> I hold my hand My up. room is my house. Because I think we all need, and this is really a conversation about boundaries. Teaching mm. our children how to say no to those things that make them uncomfortable. For exactly. whatever reason, and to validate that discomfort in the sense that, you know, you can't just if you keep telling your child, oh, but you know, it's okay if your uncle or auntie are kissing you on your on your lips, that maybe the child feels really uncomfortable because the level of familiarity that you have with a, a relative versus your parents is different, right? Okay, if your close family, you have this very affectionate. Um, routine or this very affectionate habits of kissing each other, that's totally fine. But then if you don't have that and someone just kind of comes in and kisses you, it's going to be creating a lot of discomfort. So actually educating the children that, you know, if a child doesn't want to kiss someone, validate, I think it's important to validate and to say, okay, why why is it that you don't want to do that? Because the child would say, oh, I'm feeling a bit weird. They won't have the vocabulary to tell you. But actually teaching them to listen to that weird feeling because it's our into their intuition, the way they're receiving the energy of the other person, which you as an adult may not recognize as being weird. But for the child, it's weird. Yeah. Well, so I think it starts with that. Yeah. Well, uh, Noreen, Guppy, I remember. Yeah, yeah, Guppy is just four years old now. She just turned four. And yeah, Karen, I think you're about to ask me that, that story. So whenever she sees, you know, family members who she doesn't want to hug and kiss, I say, that's okay. And, you know, I ask her, do you want to wave instead? Um, and she prefers that. And, and that's completely okay. We previously talked about this uh, very briefly on the show. And we had um, Adrian War, uh, Adrian War uh, I think he's from Edelman. And, and he talked about consent with his. Uh, a little boy and he was talking about tickling Um, and that really struck a chord with me because you know up until then we always used to tickle our girls and until he sort of talked about setting the boundaries and when they say no it means no I turned around to my daughter and said you know at any one point if you don't want to be tickled you just let mommy and daddy know and she says yeah I I don't like it and so we say okay we respect your boundaries and (laughs) it's a slippery slope though this word because from now on whenever she doesn't like something she says you need to respect my brain my boundaries <laughs> and, it, and it goes with everything like finish your vegetables and you know finish your dinner respect my boundaries but I think it's a great thing you know she's standing up for herself and yes that that's very important that we, we yeah. give these vocabulary to, to to small children and you're teaching her yeah you're teaching her the language that will be useful in the future um, for so many situations where she'll recognize I can say something about this which which is great um, so if, if you look at consent, where consent education is, I was going back and looking at all these different campaigns over the years. It used to be no means no, which was replaced by yes means yes. And then there was the tea and consent video put out in the UK. And just this week, the Australian government released this very bizarre video series, which is part of their national consent education material, because as of this month, uh, in certain states, consent education is going to be mandatory in state schools. 
But this material contains videos about milkshakes and tacos to explain consent. It's really not very good. So why why is it so hard to explain? Why why do you know is, do all the materials go back and forth about you know no means no yes means yes let's use milkshakes and tacos? Why, why is it so hard to explain clearly? I think it's because first of all, as uh, most cultures, we in most cultures we haven't made these rules very explicit historically. There was this whole, you know, as you said, no means no. So um, then, you know, sometimes in the old days, if you think throughout history, and I'm not going to go into the whole patriarchal views of the world, but it is a little bit like that. Uh, boys were kind of uh, excused, if you like, in the whole, like if you think there are so many different situations of rape um, and cases in the U.S. where they said, oh, boys will be boys, you know, and that means that, you know, if a girl says no, it actually doesn't mean try harder. But if you, on the other hand, for centuries, women were educated that they have to play hard to get, right? Mm -hmm. So many of us were told, you know, don't give it so easily, play hard to get, because if you're playing hard to get, the man will, will continue to chase you. So I think if you take that path of uh, boys being, I like men being educated that they have to chase the woman, that they have the to The hunter and the prey. Woman. Exactly. I mean, I guess probably part of it is a little bit in our genes, but also culturally we have, we have normalized that. Like we have idealized that in so many ways. Like if you look at uh, some of the fairy tales or the movies, you know, when the guy is persistent and, you know, like uh, let's think um, Fifty Shades of Grey, right? I mean, yes. if the dude wasn't a millionaire and good-looking, he would be a stalker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it, actually, consent is a very important part, of course, In I don't mean to get into that kind of world, but in BDSM, in this whole, mm. uh, you know, in the very deep sexual um, exploration in the kink world, consent, explicit consent is extremely important. And when they uh, create these rules, they say we need to have a safe word. A safe and word. that safe word is very important because that um, defines the boundary, the point where the, the person who's submissive, which is obviously an, an agreement between the, the two partners, is actually deciding that this is no more for me. This is my bottom line. We kind of need those explicit agreements in any relationship because uh, even today, men with this um, mindset that, oh, you know, I have to try harder, I have to go and chase this girl, I have to keep bombarding her with messages and all that. Like people sending unsolicited pictures of their genitals and all that. I mean, we've talked about this in a dating episode before. Mm -hmm. It is extremely um hurtful sometimes and if you're 16 and someone just kind of you wake up to the picture of a, of a penis that some random dude sent to you on dm in your instagram is like whoa that is very much not consensual <laughs> yeah exactly so valentina you've i know i mentioned earlier you've been teaching in some schools in hong kong is there any consent education that's standardized in hong kong not as far as I know, um, and uh, I have to to give big uh, thumbs up to to the international schools uh, in particular. Can I say that? I mean, I don't know if it's yeah, if it's okay for sure. you to to say it, but I've been teaching at the West Island School, which oh, is an extremely great. progressive, a very. Um, I've been teaching a lot of relationship 
related um, seminars and uh, you know Zoom classes and stuff. And it, they started about 14, 15 doing this education for children because it is so they, they recognize that in the context of sex education, in the context of life skills, it's really important that we teach kids about this aspect very explicitly. I definitely do not think it's standardized and I don't think it's happening in most schools actually. Yeah. As far as I know, although I've had uh, requests from a couple of other schools to, to do the same program. Yeah, well, we're just uh, coming up to the 2.30 news. Let's take a quick break and we'll return to more chat uh, with Karen and Valentina this afternoon. We're talking about consent education on the Agenda Cap. Welcome back. You're listening to the Agenda Cafe this afternoon with me, Karen Ko, and Noreen Mir. And today we're talking about uh, consent and consent education with our wonderful guest, Valentina Tudos. Valentina is a transformational relationship coach. So before the break, Valentina, you were talking about some of the uh, teaching you do in schools in Hong Kong. Now, in some places, like in Australia, as I mentioned before, consent education is going to become part of the curriculum, mandatory part of the curriculum. But teachers are worried that they're not trained to teach this or they don't have the confidence to teach this. I mean, is that is that an issue? Do we need to start with sort of a comprehensive teaching of, of educators to really get something like this, um, making it make it be effective? Well, there's the concept of training the trainers, right? And uh, what I hear from a lot of my teachers' friends is that a lot of this new stuff that comes on board is not actually included in the teachers' training in any way. They have to do the research. They have to start talking about it. And I know for some people, it's actually awkward to discuss sex, for example. It's it's not something that they've been used to doing in their, uh, you know, sometimes they're teachers who are in their 50s or something like that. And they come from a more traditional view in which it's awkward to say certain words and to discuss them openly with the kids. And of course, the kids giggle like every time, you know, like 14, 15 year old boys. I, I was teaching a class of 90 kids talking about sex and nudes and, uh, you know, pics and all that stuff and of course the the class was like extremely difficult to <laughs> to pacify because everyone was giggling and they were like laughing and talking to each other but it's still very important that um the teachers do i think um find uh sources of information and it's not really on them so much but i think the schools would be I guess if, if the governments uh, of the world decide that this is an important uh, thing that needs to be taught, it should be part of the teacher's training, I suppose. Yeah, where are the students sort of... Where are the students sort of getting their do, information they, from? What, what do you find kids in Hong Kong are facing? I mean, do, do they have questions that you can share with us or stories that you can share with us about, you know, how are they navigating this now as young teens in Hong Kong? I think it's actually worse than, I mean, when we grew up, we didn't have any education about it, but because so much of our life is on social media, it's even harder to put boundaries around you. As I was saying, you know, waking up to a DM from a random person on your uh, on your Instagram with people kind of shoving themselves in your face, so to speak, it's much, much harder to, to know what's, uh, what's appropriate. Um, kids are, I think, are struggling a little bit with this because as I said you know girls are educated to be accepting and allowing and it's like well it's, and especially when we like someone right if, if someone that we like um, 
is being a little bit forceful. Uh, I have clients who are like maybe 18, 19, and a little bit younger who find it really difficult to define their sexual boundaries. One, because they don't know enough about it. And two, they kind of think, well, you know, sex means penetration. If there's no penetration, is no no sexual um, behavior, but that's not true. And I hear a lot of people that, you know, there's there is very common that, you know, boys put their hands under the girls' skirts. And the girls, they don't necessarily understand that this is actually uh, breaking the rule of consent. Um, and then sometimes people have reported that and sometimes they haven't. Sometimes they haven't talked to anybody about this. Uh, sometimes they come, you know, to therapy or to, to coaching for, for this reason because it, it can be very traumatizing yeah. when, how, when someone does it. Yeah. How are students sort of getting their information? I mean, you know, somebody might pat you on the bottom and if you tell your friends, your friend's like, oh, no, don't worry about it. You know, that's not that bad. I mean, wh- where are they getting their information from? It depends if they're lucky enough to have uh, like older um, people that they can trust, that they can maybe check in with. But I think a lot of the times they don't. Uh, from from what I can see, when I when I talk to these these um, teenagers or young young students, they say, "Well, I didn't mention that to my friends because if I told my friends about it, they would they would tell me off, or they will think I'm stupid, or they will judge me, or something." So, unfortunately, I think there is a lot of hidden. Uh, emotional trauma that comes from this uh, because it creates a lot of internal conflict you know we're educated to be good girls but the definition of a good girl is not that clear you know what are you supposed to do and of course there is a lot of pressure on teens to be perfect you know we expect they expect themselves to look perfect to behave perfectly to get all the best grades I mean we know how much pressure is on kids education these days and this perfection really impacts their mental health. Um, I can see a lot of signs of that. And then they kind of go a little bit crazy and they start exploring. And then the parents are going, oh, we are going off the rails. But they've not had an explicit conversation uh, about this situation. And uh, it's it's very challenging, I think. Yeah. Valentina, yeah. when they talk about that, do they use the words consent? I mean, what's the language they use? Do they use that word? Yeah, they, I think some of them know uh, about it, but they're not very clear what it is consent, as in, you know, because I, for example, I'm thinking of a particular situation with a specific client who said, oh, you know, this guy put his hand under my skirt. And I said, well, are you okay with that? She's like, well, not really, but I just, you know, sometimes they say, well, I don't want to rock the boat, or I liked him, and I kind of thought, okay, that's my boundary. But then I put my foot down when it came to sex. I'm like, well, that is actual sexual behavior. But for her, it was like, "Mm, that's okay. It's not so bad. So we are often assuming that certain things, according to whatever judgment system or belief system we have in our mind, we excuse certain things, we accept certain things, even though they make us uncomfortable, um, because we don't know how to say no. And this is the most important part that uh, there all these, uh, like I said, implicit uh, agreements that we have. Um, like, you know, if a girl is flirty or she's wearing a short skirt, that is by far not an invitation to stick your hand underneath her skirt. Absolutely. Even when a lot of girls are wearing very short skirts, but that isn't really saying, yes, have sex with me right here, right now. 
So the part about uh, implicit, oh, sorry, explicit uh, consent or what is really important is that it is um, explicitly given, you know, like it's, it's a hell yes. If it's right. not, that's, that's how I explain it to the kids. Like if it's not a hell yes, it's not consent. Yeah. Yeah. I was speaking to and someone then, before. Sorry, go on, Karen. No, I was going to say then, you know, very often for young people, they're in these situations that are, are very gray where, for example, someone is intoxicated. They may be slightly intoxicated or they may be extremely drunk um, and they're saying, hell yes. You know, are they are they really able to make that decision because because they're impaired and who who's who has to be the judge of that? If they themselves are saying, hey, yeah, I, I want to do this. But the partner and the partners maybe sometimes not sure, like, do they really mean this or are they too yeah. drunk to really give informed consent? I mean, these gray areas are the, is where people get in trouble, right? Exactly. Well, I have actually a list of uh, bullet points here that I use in my class uh, about what is consent and what isn't consent. Um, and the things that are very important to remember for the kids is that it has to be, like I said, informed, as in I know what's going to happen. It needs to be freely given, as in there shouldn't be any pressure, any coercion, any sort of like, oh, but, you know, do me a favor or like, oh, I'm feeling a certain way and please, 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 that kind of stuff. So the person needs to absolutely want to do this. It has to be coherent, which means it's consistent across a certain period of time. And the person knows how to express it. Not like, okay, let's do it like that. Uh, it has to be ongoing, which means that as you go through the different steps in the process, whatever it is from kissing to second base to third base, whatever it is, it needs to be checked and uh, verbally confirmed um, because this is the biggest problem. Sometimes when a girl doesn't say no, it's taking as a yes, but that isn't the case. With consent about sex is not that. And it also needs to be sober, as in if a person is intoxicated and they've said hell yes, that doesn't actually count or it it's it shouldn't be. And this, is, I think, is one of the important things that... Um, we need to educate the kids on that when someone has been drinking, of course, uh, barriers come down, alcohol really shifts um, any uh, rules that we make, any judgments that we make, and it's, it's really difficult to, to express. It also uh, reminds me that consent needs to be enthusiastic. That's why I said the hell yes. But in, in conjunction with all the other things, you can't just say, oh, just because she said hell yes it's okay for me to continue. If she isn't sober, that doesn't count. So all of these are important. And it needs to be specific about, oh, I, I'm okay with you kissing me. I'm okay with you sitting next to me. I'm okay with you touching me. So the, I guess the closer we get to the sex, the more we need to ask. Now, of course, people, kids say, well, yeah, but are you asking me to kind of go, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? All the time. Of course not. But if we educate the boys to ask and if we educate the girls, and by the way, I'm not trying to make this a gender thing because it's not just the boys that are the perpetrators and the girls that are the victim. Um, even Noreen, I think you were saying that sometimes, you know, you are trying a little, <laughs> we yeah. might make the mistake that um, if we are like a confident woman, we should just go and grab a guy and kiss him. But that's also not okay. 
Absolutely it not. It is absolutely not okay. And it is absolutely okay for a guy to say, no, actually, I'm not interested in kissing you. I'm, I'm not interested in, in having anything with you. Yeah. Because uh, 30% of the, you know, Me Too, the, the sexual harass, harassment cases were actually men that were um, harassed by women. Um, but the point is, whichever is the person who is pursuing uh, in that situation, they need to constantly ask in whenever it feels like normal, right? Not, not in a crazy way. And you don't want to come with a piece of paper saying, okay, tick all these boxes that <laughs> it's done, right? Um, and I think the other part that is really, really important is this uh, idea of consent being reversible. Which right. means that just because I said yes at the beginning of the night that, okay, I'm ready to do this, if any, for any reason you are uncomfortable, you can say, no, oh, sorry, I've changed my mind. I cannot go ahead with it. And there was this really uh, famous, uh, well, I don't know if very famous, but um, there was a U.S. comedian, Aziz Asari, I think his name is, who had a TV show called Master of None or something like Master that. None. Yes. yes. And um, he was accused by someone that he essentially broke the rules of consent. And it was a big scandal because he is a very big proponent of, uh, you know, this kind of uh, informed um, situations. And because the girl, she said in her blog that, oh, you know, I, I was very uncomfortable and I didn't want to kiss him. And I was giving him all these nonverbal signals. And as much as I agree that he shouldn't have pushed if also the girl was much more explicit about saying, no, I'm, I'm really not okay with this. Actually, I want to leave because they were in his apartment. The things wouldn't have gone as far as uh, her being traumatized to that extent. Yeah. So, um, and also it's important to really figure out what the balance of power is. Because a lot of that, sometimes the sexual harassment or any kind of harassment is usually by someone who is in a position of power in one way, shape or form. Whether it is your uncle when you're three or your teacher who is making maybe weird uh, comments or something or um, someone in any, like a boss or someone like that. All of these things are equally difficult because when the other person is in a significant position of power, the consequences of us saying no can be much worse. Yeah, so, so, people, so people don't say no and then they regret it afterwards. I mean, just, Valentina, going back to your example of Aziz Ansari, I think that is not uncommon that there, is, there can be a mismatch of perception where, okay, let's say the guy thinks this was consensual, you know, all the, all the events that led up to it and the body language. And it seemed to me that, that this person was okay with everything that happened. And how do you, you know, cause it, maybe it's true. This one, one party really believes that the sex was consensual and the other doesn't, but because of not saying anything or not saying it in a way that expresses it to the, to the other party, it leads to this mismatch of perception. I mean, how, how do you prevent that from happening? Well, <laughs> through more education, because the problem with this is that these boundaries are not clear because they're not the same for everyone. That's the problem. In some cultures, grabbing someone's hand is absolutely fine. Uh, catcalling is absolutely fine. You know, people, I grew up in a, in a catcalling culture and I was educated to believe that, well, you know, that's admiration. You know, but in other countries, 
can being catcalled is is horribly offensive, right? So culturally, there are differences. Um, like even in in age level, I suppose you know what would be okay for someone. You know, if you're in your forties and you're like very comfortable with yourself, you're not going to see something like that, like someone making a comment um, in a certain in a certain way, it might feel very sexist and um, and abusive in another in other culture, not so much. I mean, you know, the difference between the US political correct environments and here. I remember I had a boss who was American and every time he went to New York for meetings and stuff, he would come back and he would have a little bit of the <laughs> the mindset from there. Like I remember him saying the word chicks in a meeting and then he immediately corrected himself going oh no I actually meant you know these ladies and I was like why are you correcting yourself that's weird because only by the fact that he corrected himself have I even become aware that there was something wrong with that word for me that it's not an offensive word it's just you know colloquial let's say mm-hmm. um, so because the rules are not clear and because each person has a different perception of the world right and even in, in different situations, you know what, with one person, like let's say if you like a person, them being a little bit pushy or a little bit like, you know, chasing you or trying to seduce you will be very different to someone that you don't like so much. True. Right? Yeah, like true. like if a person you like sends you a dick pic without asking, you're going to go, oh, okay, thanks, you've been thinking of me. But if some random person that you have nothing with or you think are horrible uh, sends you something personal and that's going to be offensive. So I think this is the difficulty that we're all faced because it's very circumstantial. It's very uh, personal, like very subjective. So, and also uh, we create our own reality in our mind. What's uh, okay for me and what I interpret as uh, as messages that are uh, accepting and affirmative, maybe another person actually doesn't mean it that way. So it's really hard to prevent, except by really giving people this list of literally flirting is not a, a consensual, um, it's not an invitation for you to have sex with someone unless you then clarify, okay, what is it okay for me to do? How far can I go? Uh, if someone buys you a drink, that isn't consent for you to just go ahead and kiss them or try more, right? So by having very specific rules around this, I think we can educate people to also have similar uh, perceptions of an event because essentially our reality programs us all the time, right? We watch something on TV. Like if we see all these movies with um, like, I don't know, empl- employers being um, flirty with someone in the team and um, watching things in school where boys are, I was watching um, something the other night where a boy was climbing through the window of a girl, like a 50, 15 year old kids, the guy just comes into her room like, whoa, what? that's absolutely not consensual, even though she liked him, but it's definitely an invasion of her space. Um, so I think it's, it's going to be really tricky, but that the more we specifically list these things that are, uh, necessary to be observed in the process of engaging with other people, the more we will change the norms around it and it will take time. All these stories are flooding back. Um, I remember at university there was this guy who who dropped me back to my dorms, and he was like, "Can I come up?" And he was, you know, he was driving in a car. He was like, "Oh, can can I, you know, come up?" And I was like, "No, you know, you can't." And he was like, "Oh, would you mind paying me back half the petrol money?" 
really yeah so he felt like you owed him because he'd Drop me driven off. Yeah, he was one who offered to, you know, you know, finished in the library or whatever, and and dropped me back to the place. And and yeah, he was like, "Can I come back?" Home? I was like, "No, you can't." <laughs> and then he sort of asked me for petrol money. Bizarre. But isn't story. it funny how there was an assumption that exactly. I'm, I'm hearing that oh, if I come up, it's okay. Like, because probably he wouldn't have asked you for petrol money if you let him come up, assuming that maybe that would lead to something. Exactly. Very, yeah, very I think bizarre. there's definitely some sort of transactional, um, you know, focus sometimes when, say, you know, some a guy takes a girl out for dinner and the payment is the goodnight open mouth kiss or the yes. invitation into her to her apartment, and then if they don't get it, they get pissed off. Right? Do you know this reminds me of a time where some guy that I I've never met in person but we were chatting sends me obviously knowing what I do um sends me a message saying oh my god I'm so upset I took this girl out for dinner to her, like a really expensive dinner last night and she didn't even want to sleep with me. I'm like dude exactly. what are you talking about like just because you buy someone dinner there is absolutely no obligation whatsoever that you're going to get something for it and you're like well then why am I doing it? It's like I don't know for company like if you think that that's how you buy sexual favors i'm sorry but you you're probably going to end up in jail eventually exactly like why do people so, he was literally scandalized that that girl would just not like oh but this is ridiculous you know women take advantage of men and what are we supposed to do you know like we we putting all this investment i'm like dude that's like paying for sex if you really want to pay for sex exactly go and you know you can talk do it to a professional there's there's another app for that. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm very professional sex workers. I think it's interesting also Valentina because maybe today's dating culture ha- has kind of encouraged that because I mean obviously I'm not dating I'm not on any dating apps or sites but I know that you know people may write in their pro- profile the DTF which means I'm here looking for sex as opposed to a meaningful relationship or you know something long term. So maybe the assumption is you know if you go on a date with that person that this is where we're going to end up. What does DTF stand for? I'm asking what is DTF <laughs> separately we can't say that on air. Oh think. oh sorry. <laughs> I can tell down you the first yeah down to down to frolic. Oh, oh. <laughs> down to frolic meaning I'm down to frolic. <laughs> Um, I'm asking for a friend, obviously. Of course. <laughs> well, you know, actually, I think that would be a good uh, a good sign in marriage in marriages that have staled a little bit. You know, like how do you communicate to your partner that you're actually yeah, DTF? Gonna, yeah. <laughs> Write that down. Make notes. Making notes. Um, so just to go back to what you were saying, Karen. Yes, I think there is. Um, I, I notice a, a big discre- discrepancy in the mindset that people go onto dating apps with so let's say you know a, a dating app like tinder which has a reputation of being a hookup app you will see that the vast majority of men there are not going to be into the expectation that they're going to meet the love of their life which is why sometimes when guys ask me like oh what are you looking for like well the love of my life obviously <laughs> you know <laughs> like if you you already know what the mindset is around that it doesn't mean that i know a lot of people who have met their life partner on tinder but that's beside the point 
the, the, the flip side of that is that a lot of women go on Tinder thinking that they will meet the love of their life. So I mean it as a joke. But there are people who have on their profile only interested in serious relationships, not interested in one night stands. Uh, absolutely, you know, don't send me anything that isn't uh, meaningful and, and powerful and all that. To the extent that, honestly, when I see a guy that says looking for serious relationship, I know he's a catfish. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we talked a lot about consent this afternoon, Karen and Valentina, and I think uh, we should also mention uh, there's a fantastic video uh, out there of our listeners that haven't got the opportunity to, to watch it. Uh, please do go to YouTube and you can find a consent and the tea video. And I think that's launched by uh, the London uh, Metropolitan Police. And they basically, you know, go through the series of, you know, when people say they don't want tea, they they mean it. They they don't want tea, and tea is really meaning sex. And they sort of you know make sure an unconscious person. Um, you don't give an unconscious person tea. You don't give a drunk person tea. The same way you don't you know try and have sex with them. And that sort of bit of humour, but it really is a, an important message. Um, perhaps I mean, like you said just now, Valentina, education is the key. Um, perhaps we can inject some humour into this rather serious topic. Um, you know, have more campaign videos and stuff. Well, that's a very successful one. Um, I, I don't know if that can happen in this part of the world. Maybe. I don't really see sort of APIs, you know, like that. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's the way forward. We're not playing any APIs on sexual consent on RTHK as far as I know. No, no. But we do have the Love Teeth campaign in case any of our <laughs> listeners um, want to know that, <laughs> which brings us really to, to, the, to the end of the program. I uh, really enjoyed uh, today's chat with, with both of you. Thank you so much, Valentina Tudos, for, for joining us this afternoon. And of course, Thank to you. Karen Co. Wonderful. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Noreen. Thank you.